Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here's today's message. Well, we are going to dive back into a series. We started a series a few weeks back uh, called The Road of a Disciple. And we started this. We have been looking at Matthew chapter 10 for the last four weeks up until last week. And we have been looking at when Jesus sends out his disciples to go and to do kingdom work. It is a wonderful chapter. It is Jesus telling them, sending them, saying, listen, I'm going to send you out. You are going to do the work of the kingdom. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to bring healing. You're going to be casting out demons. And Jesus sends them out, but then Jesus also gives them warnings. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, um, just well, we actually had not just a couple of weeks ago, but we looked at how Jesus said, you are going to be a sheep among wolves. Jesus warns them, the road of being a disciple of Christ is not going to be an easy road. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. But then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus said, listen, but don't worry. You are going to face evil, but God knows. God knows everything about you. Not only does he know every hair on your head, but God cares. And Jesus gave this wonderful example of the sparrow and how in their culture, the sparrow meant it was worthless to them. And Jesus said, God even cares and knows about every sparrow that falls. Aren't you worth more than many sparrows? And Jesus encourages them and says, listen, the road ahead will be very difficult. And I think us as a church, I think it is so fitting in the season we are living in, especially for us American Christians. We live in such a prosperous and wonderful world. But to understand and to realize that as a disciple of Christ, the road is not always easy. It's not always just, you know, I always say butterflies and ponies here. Uh, it's just, it's not always smooth sailing. It will Get difficult. Well, Jesus is going to continue down this this week. And last week or two weeks ago, we left off with these words. Jesus said this in verse 32, 10, 32. He said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. That is where we left off. And today, Jesus is going to challenge us on the loyalty to him. He is going to challenge us and press his disciples back then is who are you going to be loyal to? Who is number one in your life? And Jesus is going to be hitting on something that probably hits a little close to home for many of us, including myself today. We're going to uh, dive into Matthew 10, starting in verse 34, and I'm going to ask for you to stand, and let's read the word of God together, and then we will pray. Matthew 10, 34 through 39, Jesus says this, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Let us pray. Father God, as we, as we look to your word today, Father, I pray for your spirit to come and to be ministering to our hearts and minds, to be challenging us, to be encouraging us, and to be drawing us deeper in our relationship with you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word, and I pray for you to come and to minister to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. Jesus starts off with the words, do not suppose, in verse 34, do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. Do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, Maybe some of your minds don't think how my mind thinks. I, I do recognize that my mind is a very different mind and a peculiar mind. And uh, my dad has been telling me that my entire life, by the way. But when I first read those verses, the thought came to me was, I thought Jesus came to bring peace on this earth. You know, every Christmas season, we sing about the Prince of Peace, on, and how Jesus came to bring peace. And then we read these verses today, and it says, Jesus says, don't think that I came to bring peace. Did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And it, it is interesting because that just started to make me think about other scripture verses like, like, like John 14, 27. Jesus said this, dealing with peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Or Philippians 4, 7, Paul pens this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I share those verses with you because we just read Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. And it's, it's very interesting that we need to understand the type of peace Jesus is talking about here. Because Jesus did come to bring mankind peace, but it's a different kind of peace than what I think a lot of people think about. See, outside of Jesus Christ, mankind cannot have peace with God. Outside of Jesus, there is no peace. You cannot be made right with God by what you do, by, by any other circumstances, but it's solely based on Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can make peace between God and man. So Jesus did come to bring us peace. He came to, to, to make us righteous before God. But that's not the type of peace Jesus is talking about here today because Jesus is talking about this relational aspect that's going to take place in this world. That there is going to be this divide between a believer and a non-believer. Now, we may think, well, there shouldn't be any sort of divide. Can't we all just get along? Why can't we just have peace on this earth? But the reality is, is that when people become a follower of Christ, their loyalty changes. Who they are changes. See, there's, there's followers of just nothingness or anything, and then there's followers of Jesus. And Jesus is challenging his disciples here on who they will be loyal to. Now, there is a peace. I do want to just make this clear. There is a peace that can surpass 
all understanding that is found within Christ Jesus. And I believe as believers, we should be living in the most peace than anyone else. That we should be living in peace with God every single day because of what Jesus has done for us. But Jesus is talking about what happens when we become a follower, when we become a disciple of him, that there will be this divide. There will be this sword that splits mankind. There will be this division that takes place. And in Matthew 10.35, he starts to hit on something pretty, pretty uh, close to home here. Look at verse 35. He says, for I have come to turn, think about this, Jesus says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, which we know that one's pretty easy. Just saying. Not in my household. I'm not saying in my household. I'm just saying I've heard of people that have struggles there. A man's enemies will be the members of his own Household. Now, it is interesting, at the end of verse 36, there's a little footnote. If you have your physical Bible with you, or if you're reading some sort of app, there's always these little footnotes. I recommend as a follower of Christ and as a reader of Scripture, follow that footnote, because it's, it's going to lead you somewhere. See, see, these verses here, verses uh, 35 and 36, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. You may not have like picked up on that, but Jesus is quoting Micah chapter 7. And it's interesting because in the book of Micah, he is talking about this turmoil that is, that is taking place within mankind. He is just explaining, listen, there is no one good. Even the priests are taking, bri- taking bribes. Micah is talking about, in, in chapter 7, about how evil mankind has become. And it's very interesting because like what we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus is talking about the evil that will be within mankind. That mankind will not be friendly towards believers. And it's interesting how Jesus quotes this scripture verse at this time right after he warned them about the evil of mankind. But in in Micah chapter 7, and this is uh, chapter 7, verse 6. It says this, For the son treats the father with contempt. The, the daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Now, in verse 7, Micah ends it with this. He says, but as for me, this is interesting, but as for me, I will look to the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. See, Micah warns us that this world around us will be evil. It will not be for God. There will be this struggle. There will be this this loyalty issue that will take place. But Jesus is making the point that when we follow him, there will be this divide. Have you guys ever really thought about that? That, that as a follower of Christ, you're not like the rest of the world. Like, you're different. Like, you're not like everyone else. And I'm not saying in like a judgmental way where we should be walking around being like, well, I'm not, I'm not like uh, those sinners over there. He, he's not talking like that here. But it, he, he is asking us to realize as a follower of Jesus, 
you're different. Your standards will be different. Your morals will be drastically different. There will be this divide between you and the non-followers, the non-believers. And this divide can take place anywhere. Here, Jesus is talking about within a household. That within very households, there will be believers and there could be non-believers. And this is going to cause problems. This is going to cause a sword to be making us have to decide who are we most loyal to. We have to decide in our life who comes first. Think about this. In your life, we have loved ones and family members and cared for who we love deeply. But in your life, who is the most important? Who is numero uno? Who's number one? And Jesus is challenging his, his followers to the very core of this question. And it's interesting that Jesus brings up family here. It's so interesting that, that, that Jesus could have, he could have talked about anything else in this life that could draw us away from him, that could be taking away our attention and taking away our loyalty, but Jesus goes to the family. And I just find this to be so interesting, especially in the world that we are living in today. You guys know that, um, I'm just going to make this statement. Do you guys realize that the, the number one reason why we have so many issues in this country right now, not based on politics, not based on laws, based on family. The family structure of this nation has been broken for the last 50 years. As you look at divorce rates and family issues, I could tell you and I would argue with you that as we look at the breakdown of our family, we see society's problems. When, there's, when the family doesn't exist, society literally crumbles. And I would argue that as you look at our society, our society's crumbling and falling apart because of the lack of family. Um, several years ago, I got to work with some um, inmates that were coming out of jail and, 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 uh, and, and, and prison here, and we had a house for them, and uh, we were ministering to them. Every single one of them, when you talk about their past, their family was a mess. Dad left. Mom's a drunk. The family broke down. I kid you not, 100% of the guys we ministered to, when you talked about their, their life, you could trace it all right back to the family. I kid you not. It was just like time and time again. The story was the exact same. Dad wasn't there. Mom abused me. Like, it was just, and, and even as I talked to uh, the chaplain at the prison, he said, he said, Jeff, that story is within our, our entire prison system. He said, when you look at our prison system, when you look at the, the people that are committing the most crimes and having the most difficulties, you will hear almost the identical story. The family structure was not there. There, there was no family. Now, now, I share this with you because I feel like sometimes we as the church and we as Christians can kind of like look at society and realize, okay, family is important. And I think all of us here would agree, right? I mean, there's nobody here walking in today being like, family's not important at, 
at all. We can look at our society and we can see it. Our prisons are filled with broken homes. But sometimes I feel like, as Christians, as churchgoers, sometimes I feel like we have taken family and we have almost done the opposite of what's happening within our society as like a response to it. Okay, family's falling apart. Churches, we need to double down on the family. We need to be talking about how important the family is. And there is many believers that truly believe that family is so important that family's number one. That no matter what else happens, family comes first. And I hate to like break that bubble. That is not what scripture teaches. Family does not come first. Family is important. God, God created family so that we can function and grow and learn. But family is not the most important thing. And this is what Jesus is ultimately challenging his disciples on today. And I realize this is a little bit uncomfortable because I know that family is important. But Jesus is challenging his disciples today on this very issue. What's going to be number one? Is your family going to be number one? Is your children going to be number one? Do they come first above all else? Now, I, I kind of want to read an article today. Does anyone here follow Babylon B? Some of you are like laughing. If you don't know what Babylon B is, um, it's a satire Christian guy's that started a website a few years ago, and they make fun of everything, okay? So um, they, they pick on Christians, they pick on themselves, they pick on a, a lot of different things. And if you've ever read Babylon B, you know that sometimes in their satire, just sometimes in their satire, they can hit the nail on the head. And they can point things out that um, maybe Christians don't really want to think about, Maybe we don't really want to... And they do it in kind of a funny, joking manner. Well, they, they had this one article. The title of it was this. It said, After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents are shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. So first of all, just kind of think about that title there. Quarterly church attendance. And the article goes on, and it says this. This comes out of California. This is all their thing. They said, local father, Trevor Michelson, 48, and their wife, Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Janie, to church, every Sunday they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which was at least once every three months. She no longer demonstrates a strong quarterly commitment to her faith they raised her with. Now that she is college day, Trevor was simply stunned at this, revel at this revelation. He says, I don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club sports seasons, Janie was in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from that one tournament in 2011 when we missed that one Easter, it was obvious that church was a priority to the family. And we just don't understand why our daughter has spiritual apathy today. And they, they wrote this article kind of like 
tongue-in-cheek, but they were just pointing out the fact that in America, we tend to um, worship and uh, love other things within for family activities other than making church a priority. And, and I'm not saying you have to make church a priority in order to love Jesus. I think that it's, it's right up there. But they kind of make it tongue-in-cheek that it's funny within America, people will put their family, their kids' sports above all else. And then they're surprised and shocked that why doesn't their kid love the Lord today? But I share this with you to be talking about family can never be first, church. Family is important. I love my family. I cannot tell you how amazing it is to bring home a newborn baby. If you've never snuggled with a little baby, it is one of the most amazing things on this earth. But God did not give us family for us to worship family. Our kids, my kids, they can't come first. My kids are important. I love them. (laughs) They are absolutely wonderful and adorable, but they're not first. They can't be first. About about 18 months ago, I was down in um, I was down in Panama City Beach, Florida, and uh, Hurricane Michael had just ripped through there about six months prior. If you if you know any, Hurricane Michael did not make the news like other hurricanes, which is kind of sad because it was a Category Five that hit Panama City Beach, um, just wiped it right out. We were down there six months later doing a missions trip. If you know me, I love the organization. Samaritan's Purse. I've worked with them several times. And we were down there, and this was spring break, and there was 200 college students there and families and our church, and we had some youth kids, and we were down there wanting to serve and help clean up. And while we were down there, I noticed this family. I found this family to be very interesting. There was a mom and dad. They had what looked like young adult children. And I was like, they were the only family there. Everyone else was college students and youth groups and, and, uh, you know, people of that here, but they were the only ones there. And it was interesting because I, I was looking at this family thinking, okay, what are they doing down here? Like, they could be doing anything right now, but why are they here serving as a family? So I said, who I am, if you guys know me, I will just go up and talk to people. So I'm just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out who these people are, and I'm going to find out their story here. So I went up, and, and I talked to them and found out that they're from Wisconsin, and we're talking, and I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, um, our daughter had spring break, and I had a little bit of vacation time, and we decided to just take our boys, and we wanted to come down here and serve as a family for a week. And I remember looking at this family thinking, that's the family I want. What a great example as a family. They could have, they could have been on vacation. They could have been skiing somewhere. They could have been, they could have been anywhere for their week vacation. But they said, we're going to go and serve. We're going to go and take care of somebody else. And I remember looking at them thinking, that's the family God wants. Because they're not putting what they want first. They're not putting their desires and their plans. They wanted to be putting God's kingdom first and God's plans first. And I, the, that image there was burned into my mind 
that the moment my kids are just old enough, we need to show them that God's kingdom comes first. And this is why I think when Jesus says in verse 37, whoever loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who's number one church in your life? Really think about that. Who's number one? Is it Jesus? Is it his kingdom and his plans and his will? Or maybe, sometimes, do we put things before him? In this circumstance, Jesus is talking about family. And Jesus makes it clear who needs to be first in our life. In verse 37, he says this, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Many people think that picking up the cross of Christ is when we go through different or difficult circumstances. Have you ever like, thought about that? Like, What does it mean to pick up our cross and follow Christ? Well, if you look at it within these, um, within these verses and what was just talked about, the cross that we bear to follow Christ is this loyalty question. Who are we going to be most loyal to? Who is going to come first in our lives? The cross we all bear is that every single day we have to make a decision and a choice. Who comes first, God? The cross we bear is us saying, Jesus you're going to come first no matter what. No matter what is happening in my life, no matter the circumstances I'm facing, no matter my children, my mom, my dad, Jesus, you need to come first. And how we know when Jesus comes first is in verse 39. And if you don't have a life verse or a verse that I would challenge you to dwell on this week, to write down as you're driving to work, to be constantly thinking about, is verse 39. He, he says this, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I became a Christian several years ago now, I was reading God's word and asking a lot of questions. And I remember being a young Christian coming to this one verse and this one verse was so complex to my mind. I read this verse over and over, and I dwelled on it for weeks, and I was constantly praying, God, what does this even mean? What does it mean for whoever finds his life will lose it? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does this mean that Jeff needs to no longer exist? And I was just like dwelling on this. Like, what does it mean for us as, us as followers, us as, as, as a disciple of Christ, to lose our lives? I think the answer is to lose our lives means we simply bend our will, our desires, and our life to Christ. That everything we have Everything you are, everything, every fiber and every being of who we are is to say, it's yours, Christ. Jesus, everything I have is yours. 
doesn't matter. My thoughts, my plans, my will, my desires. God, I want, I want to bend that to you. I want to choose you over all else. Over everything else in my life, Jesus, I want you to become Lord of everything. And I believe that when we come to Christ, we can look at how Jesus gave everything he had for you and for me. And my question is, is why can't we do the same to him? I think too often we have made the gospel maybe a little bit too easy. It's like, well, Jesus loves you and just believe those are all true. Jesus does love you, and he calls you to believe, but he also calls, calls us as followers to lose our lives in him. For us to say, God, you are my everything. Whatever you call me to, I will do. I will worship you and you alone. I will not worship family. I will not worship the things of this world, but God, I will worship you and you only. And as you read the entire Old Testament, what was their number one struggle? They constantly worshipped other gods. And God was constantly saying, don't do that. And within our world, we're not bowing down to statues, but we have so many things in our lives that can distract us from us loving God and saying, God, I want you to become my everything. And I want to leave you with these verses out of Philippians. I think Paul puts it best. Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Church, my challenge for you and for me is to be men and women that lose everything for Christ. I believe we are living in a time where Christians will have to choose. Is Christ number one or is something else? And I think we need to worship our God with everything we have and say, Jesus, I want you to become number one in my life. And this is this is not a one-time thing. This is a daily struggle, I would argue. <laughs> Every single day, we get distracted and we have things that come into our life. And every single day, we have to say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. Jesus, I, I desire you. I want to worship you. God, give me faith today for you. Because everything in this life will be distracting us from him. And what Jesus touched on here today even our family, even our family, even our kids. If you don't have kids, I realize half of you college students are like, we don't have kids. What's he talking about? It will be asked of you, who is number one? Who is your top priority? Is it going to be Jesus? Or will we bow down to something else? Will we put something else before him? But I can promise you this. As a follower of Christ, I can leave you with this. If you say yes to Christ every single day, you will have one of the greatest lives you will ever have. He will take you where you never thought that you would go. 
He would take you on a journey that is more wonderful than anything you could ever plan for yourself. And you will meet people and you will share the gospel and you will see lives changed. And God will be working mightily through you. But if we hang on to this life, if we hang on to the things of this world, Jesus says this, you're going to lose it. It's not worth it. Don't hang on to them. Let go of them. Forget them. But lose your life for the sake of Christ and watch God work. I could share with you story after story of how God works within believers' lives when they just say, Jesus, you are my everything, and I'm, no matter what the cost is, no matter what it takes, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you, and I'm going to seek you with everything I have, and I'm going to bring this gospel message to the world around me, and lives get changed, and the journey begins. And I can tell you this, it is the most wonderful journey you could ever be on, church. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for us today. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. Father, my prayer for my life and for our church is that we would be men and women that are most loyal to you. Jesus, as we follow you as a disciple, you challenged us, who is going to be number one? And I pray, Lord, that each and every day this week, as we are seeking you, Lord, that we would make you our top priority in all circumstances. Father, I praise you for your word today. I thank you that we can come and seek you and worship you. And Father, as we worship you now, may you come and minister to our hearts and to our minds and remind us of truly how great you are. I pray this in Jesus' name.